0: You're supposed to be sitting in your buggy seat enjoying life listening to the radio and all of a sudden you're, you're sitting in the Aspen stand with shelter in hand thinking why the hell am I doing this job again?
1: When the hair on the back of your neck starts to stand up, act on it. And the dude leading the hike out just stopped in his tracks and he made eye contact with me and he said the main fire is always an issue.
0: This is the Wildland Fire Lessons Learned Center podcast, the Nuttle Fire Series. I'm Alex Victoria, Assistant Center Director of the Wildland Fire Lessons Learned Center. As part of the 2017 Week of Remembrance, we're taking a look at a single shift on a single fire, the Nuttle Fire, which burned on the Coronado National Forest on the Safford Rainier District in July of 2004. If you've never been to the Coronado National Forest, it's the forest in southeastern Arizona, that's made up of a number of sky islands timbered mountain ranges which are surrounded by hot and dry low country for those of you who'd like some visual aids to help you paint a picture of the nuttle fire the aspen stand the slop over drop point 20 and hellospots h4 and h6 check out the nuttle fire videos on the wildland fire lessons learned center youtube channel today we bring you what might be the most different perspective thus far It's from a helicopter crew member, Jason Virtue, who was up on H-6 on July 2nd, 2004. We'll hear from Jason in a moment. To get the full picture of why Jason was on the Nuttall fire in 2004, we've got to go back to 2002. We've got to talk about large air tankers. This is really interesting history, and trust me, this will all make sense in the Nuttall story in just one minute. Bear with me. 2002 was a tragic year for aerial firefighters. On June 17th, a C-130A crashed while operating on a fire outside of Walker, California. You can find eyewitness footage of this crash on YouTube. If you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. It's tough stuff to watch. The aircraft basically comes apart midair just after making a drop on the fire. All three crew members on board tanker 130 were killed in this crash. About a month later, on July 18, 2002, a PB4Y-2, tanker 123 as it was known, crashed while assigned to the Big Elk fire outside of Estes Park, Colorado. Both of Tanker 123's crew members were killed. In a month's time, five air tanker crew members died in the line of duty in 2002. A month later, leadership from the United States Forest Service and the Bureau of Land Management asked a five-member panel, known as the Blue Ribbon Commission, to look into a number of aviation safety issues. Their report, known as the Blue Ribbon Report, was released in December of 2002. In 2003, there were no C-130s or PB-4Ys in the air tanker fleet. All the large air tankers left on contract, those that made up the rest of the fleet, had to go through additional structural safety inspections before they could be cleared to fly. And in May of 2004, and what was a surprise to many, I certainly remember being surprised, the federal large air tanker contract managed by the United States Forest Service was canceled. No air tankers. To fill the need for aviation resources, more medium and heavy helicopters were brought into the system. One of these Type 2 helicopters was based on the Black Hills National Forest, where Jason Virtue had just taken a new job as a fire planner with collateral duties as the air tanker base manager. There's the connection. In 2004, there were no large air tankers, but there was a Type 2 helicopter based on the Black Hills National Forest. There you go. That's how Jason found himself with a Type 2 helicopter, in the summer of 2004, on the Nettle Fire. Let's hear from Jason now as he recounts to us his experience on the Nettle Fire and on that shift.
1: When we arrived at Safford, and, you know, coming from Black Hills of South Dakota, you know, right away you noticed the the temperature difference. And Safford can get really hot, and, I mean, it was damn hot. And, you know, it's one of those things with Hell Attack, you know, it's almost feast or famine, you know, you can be really busy, depending on the mission, or things can be really slow. And the day or two we were there prior to getting signed on the fire, you know, it was sitting at Hell Base, you know, and not a lot of people like that. And there wasn't much work to be had or done. Days prior to that, the fire was pretty mundane, wasn't it doing a lot. And then July 2nd, you know, if they were forecasting the hands of four or five. So, you know, we went through our normal briefing. We're told that we're going to be staffing all the hella spots. So, you know, each crew member got prepared to do that, to do the crew shuttle, etc.
0: Okay, put yourself in the boots of a helicopter crew member. It's hot. You're sitting in heli base. You haven't been on the fire yet. You've been down at the airport doing a little bit of this and a little bit of that, but it's been kind of slow. Then there's this opportunity to go up on a spot. It's sure to be cooler up there. Do you take the opportunity? Do you get on the helicopter? What kind of questions do you ask? Do you ask any? Or are you just excited to get out of the heat? I know one thing's for sure, I get on the helicopter. When I think about sitting in a helibase in Safford, Arizona in July, whew, And depending upon who I get on the helicopter with, will drive what kind of questions I do or don't ask. If I'm working with somebody with much more experience than me, I may or may not ask the tough questions. What if you're a helicopter crew member trainee and you're just about to be signed off? You just need that one last signature. You gotta go improve a helispot. What kind of pressure does that add to the equation? Does it add any? Does it change anything? Okay. Let's get back to Jason and his decision to get on the helicopter and fly up to H. Which hello spot are we going to again?
1: Basically, H6 is mid-slope, surrounded by brush. And it was cut open a little bit. And the intention was that the shot crews were going to carry fire from the top of the hill down, towards uh, probably all the way down to H6, which was basically at the bottom. And basically, we were there to help support. What that means, I don't know, because there wasn't a lot we could provide. I don't know. But at any rate, we were there. As I flew in, kind of had somewhat of an uncomfortable feeling with where we were going. My thought was initially, okay, once we land here, what are we going to do? What's our options here? So right away, I, I decided that, one, if for whatever reason we have to get flown out, that's going to be our first option. Two, we were going to hike back off the hill.
0: Back to our helicopter crew member boots. You've just heard Jason's description of H-6. Doesn't sound like a great spot, necessarily. But hey, at least you're not at helibase, right? As you get off the helicopter, what are you thinking about? What, if anything, do you do once off the helicopter? Jason was thinking about a bunch of stuff. L, C, E, S. He was also thinking about the Incident Action Plan, the IAP. Specifically, something that wasn't in the IAP.
1: You know, I look back at it now. It wasn't listed on the air ops plan. It wasn't, uh, I don't think it was, you know, on the 204s. You know, not a lot of people knew that we were staffing. I just assumed that folks on that division knew we were coming
0: in did you catch that that not everybody on the division was clear about helicopter crew members being at both h6 and at h4 this is still a situation helicopter crew members and division supervisors could find themselves in today a situation where resources are on a division but not necessarily assigned to that division and listed on the division assignment list or the 204 what do we do about this simple say hello If you're a helicopter crew member, a field observer, or maybe a resource advisor and you're working on a division, a division you've not necessarily been assigned to, pick up the radio. I
1: just put new batteries in my radio.
0: Call the division supervisor whose dirt you're working on and say howdy.
1: Division Zulu. Victoria on Zulu Tac.
0: Let them know you'll be on their division.
1: Hey, I just want to let you know myself and another field observer are going to be out here on your division for most of the day. Schedule
0: a meet and greet at drop point 50, for example.
1: Hey, do you think we could tie in at, say, I don't know, drop point 50?
0: And likewise, when you leave the division, pass that message as well.
1: I just want to let you know that we're going to be taking off for the day. Thanks for your help out here.
0: It's pretty basic. And for the division supervisors out there, just be heads up for miscellaneous folks coming and going from your division. Okay. Let's get back to H6. You're sizing up the fire with Jason by your side. What are you looking for?
1: When I landed, I kind of told myself, identify the trigger point. You know, if the fire reaches, you know, a certain point on the hillside, that's where I'm going to pull the plug and get out of here. And that's exactly what, you know, the fire reached that point. You know, the fire activity... It was getting to that point where the hair was down, the back of my neck. Things were going to start to unravel. Unravel real quick here. So I started uh, taking a log of everything that was going on, and then there came out an announcement was you know uh, you know saying that the Hanes was going to be a six. Well, it came to a real quick fashion that that fire decided to to come alive. I kind of told the other crew member, I said, you know, get your stuff, get it ready to go. I'm going to get a hold of Airtech. called them and said you know from what I'm seeing I'm on h six I don't feel real comfortable what I'm seeing I'd like to you know request a flight out of here and that's when the rest of the folks on division realized that there was folks staffed down below you know they were pretty surprised and air attack you know said you bet we'll get a helicopter up and pick you up and the manager I was working for, was at the helibase, you know, of course, most of the folks were monitoring the radio. And that pilot sprinted out to his ship, got up in the air, and picked us up. Now, I don't know what the traffic was between Air Attack and Helibase, but he must have made it sound pretty prudent that they get up there in a quick fashion.
0: Here's a little bit of context as to why that pilot Jason just mentioned sprinted to the helicopter when there was word that HeliTac needed a ride off a helispot.
1: This is on the heels of Kramer. And through this whole incident, that was on the back of my mind.
0: The Kramer fire fatalities took place on July 22nd, 2003, on the Salmon Chalice National Forest, about 35 miles west northwest of Salmon, Idaho. Less than a year later, on July 2nd, 2004, on the Nuttall fire, Jason Virtue had the Kramer fire on his mind. Why? Well, on July 22, 2003, Jeff Allen and Shane Heath repelled into H-2 on the Kramer fire. As Jeff and Shane worked to complete a critical task, opening up H-2 for crew shuttles, their plans changed as the Kramer fire moved beneath them. base, H-2 on Long This is Hellebase H-2, go ahead. Yeah, bud, we're ready for pickup. Alright, we'll send 193 on its way. That's Jeff calling for a ride out. Send him in a hurry, bud, was the last part of Jeff's request. By the time helicopter 166 showed up, smoke was super thick over H2 and there was no way for the helicopter to land. Jeff and Shane then left the area where they'd been working, around H2, and were overrun by fire a short distance away. There's a great YouTube video series that tells a more complete Kramer Fire story. Find this two-part video series on YouTube by searching for Kramer Fire Case Study. It's a remarkable set of videos. There's more radio traffic and some great graphics that illustrate what happened on July 22, 2003. That's a bit about the Kramer Fire. And perhaps the Kramer Fire is why Jason's pilot sprinted out to his helicopter... When he heard Hell Attack needed a ride off of H6, no one really knows. What we do know is this. Jason had Jeff and Shane on his mind on July 2nd, 2004. Jeff and Shane's tragic deaths on the Kramer fire influenced Jason's request to get a ride off of H6 on the Nuttle fire. For more on the Nettle Fire, check out the Wildland Fire Lessons Learned Center YouTube channel. There, you'll find a series of videos that paint a pretty detailed picture of what took place on the Nettle Fire. Also, be sure to check out the other podcasts in the Nettle Fire series and... For a few written accounts of the Nettle Fire, visit our blog at wildfirelessons.wordpress.com. Special thanks to Jason Virtue, who's now the Deputy Fire Staff Officer on the beautiful Black Hills National Forest in South Dakota, for his great interview. We recorded it way back in 2014, way before we had podcasts on our mind. Thanks a ton, Jason. Finally, thanks a ton for your time.